morning's reading is Job chapter 42, the very last one, uh, the first six verses. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do all things, and that no purpose of thine can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak, and I will ask thee, and do thou instruct me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. Good morning, everybody. I'd like to start by inviting the children to Children's Church. And uh, let's uh, go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Lord, um, this morning I think of uh, Highland Park in Illinois and the violence that happened there. Lord, that's very close to the seminary I went to, close to the, gr the uh, grocery store I worked at. I'm familiar with the area, and it's heartbreaking to think of the violence that happened. And Lord, thinking of the young man who committed that violence, that when I heard about this, it really troubled me to think, what are we doing with young men in this nation? That, that they see violence as an option. And uh, Lord, there seems to be a crisis of, uh, of an idea of manhood in our nation. So Lord, I pray that your church would rise up and answer this, not with some macho version of masculinity or some uh, watered down delusion of it, but Lord, with the perfect image we have of the perfect man in Jesus Christ. We, would, we help parents to raise children. Um, help parents to focus on um, raising their children well. Lord, would you equip your church across our nation to do that? Equip us with the gospel of Jesus Christ, not with self-help manuals or um, John Wayne movies, but Lord, with, with the, the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that you've created man and woman unique in your image, and uh, we pray for healing. But Lord, part of that in our nation is also that we need revival. Lord, Holy Spirit, we need you to come and to wake up people across this nation to their desperate need, their need for salvation in Jesus Christ, their need for um, the hope that they can have in him. And Lord, we've seen you do it a number of times throughout our nation's history. And Lord, this, this very crucial, very tumultuous, tumultuous time in our history, Lord, we ask again, would you please come and awaken us one more time, awaken us again to the gospel. And Lord, would you start in your churches, that uh, your church across our nation would um, remember her first love and, uh, and embrace that. So Lord, have mercy on us. And Lord, to that end, we, we turn now to your word. We ask that you'd be with us to, to see and to understand. And Lord, I pray that you would use this message to help to um, encourage us and, and fit us and uh, lead us in prayer, that prayer would not be seen as a duty or a chore, but Lord, as, as a joy. And so, Lord, would you come and be with us now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. So, yeah, what we're going to do this week and next week is this week is going to be a theology of prayer. Going to talk through kind of what is prayer and, and what's going on there. And then next week will be really the application for this prayer because we'll talk about the practice of it. How do we pray? What are some hints and some things that can help us to pray? So uh, two um, 
topical sermons of which I will repent the rest of the year, but hopefully we'll get something helpful out of this. So um, let me ask you a question to start. So if you were walking through Walmart or Costco and somebody came up and grabbed your arm and real quick before you had a chance to think about it and said, what is prayer? They, they spun you around and asked you this question. What do you think would blurt out of your mouth? It wouldn't be a 15-minute explanation of, you know, God's sovereignty and human uh, free will and, and how those fit together. You, you might say something like, prayer is talking to God. Does that sound reasonable? Does that sound like something you might think? And that's not bad. That's not a, a bad way to put it. But there's problems with that answer, too, because uh, prayer is talking. Well, in the course of your shopping trip, you're going to talk to people, right? You just talked to this person. You blurted out an answer to them. You have no idea who they were, why they asked, where they came from, what their childhood was like. You just gave them an answer that they asked. As you're walking through Costco, you might talk to the sample person and say, what's in this? Is it dairy-free? How much you know, does this cost per each or whatever? And you'll have this exchange of information. But again, there's no relationship, no, no depth to it. Uh, when you get to the cash register, did you find everything you were looking for? Yes, I did. Thank you. If you go to uh, Trader Joe's, they'll comment on one of the things in your basket. Oh, that, that, that chocolate's great. I love that. And that's kind of trying to make it feel like there's some relationship, but there's really no connection, is there? You might go to customer service to return something, and, and they'll be really kind, and you'll explain the situation. But, you know, so talking is different. Now, when you get home, You'll talk with your spouse or your friend or your roommate or somebody, and you might talk about, well, you know, I went shopping, and, and the groceries were pretty expensive this week. I mean, prices are going up. Maybe we should reconsider our trip to the beach or maybe that trip to Yosemite or something. And now there's connection, and now you have something that you're sharing and you're talking about. And it's different than that shopping experience was. That talking was not... Um, it wasn't like not talking, it was just not deep. But the person that you're, you're with, you're connected to, you'll have a deeper conversation with that. You'll go quite a bit deeper. Um, as, and if you're like Lisa and I, when you're talking, what you'll do is occasionally throw out a quote from a movie or of a TV show that you both know and you'll laugh about it because you have this shared history. This is something that, that we know what that's about. Uh, we understand that joke. Whereas if you did that with the lady at the cash register, she might just blink and go, $55.99. Just have no idea what you're talking about. So when we say talking to God, there's different ways to talk, isn't there? there? There's talking, and then there's talking. So talking with God is not bad. And then the other part of it is that person you gave that answer to, who do they think God is? You're talking with God. Well, God could be anything imaginable to the other person. So the problem is, Talking with God is a good answer, but it's not sufficient. So what I want to do with this sermon is kind of see if we can't build from a general sense of talking to God to maybe a Christian way of saying that. What makes it Christian prayer? And so as we go, what we'll do is we'll, we'll try to add to that statement, and at the end, hopefully, we'll have a more robust statement of it. Um, so specifically, we're going to start with prayer is talking to God, but let's, let's start working on the word talking. Um, not everybody prays, but prayer is a fairly universal phenomenon. It's everywhere. All sorts of different cultures pray. Buddhists, they pray, they have prayer wheels, and they spin these prayer wheels, and it's supposed to fling their, their prayers for uh, compassion and goodness out into the, the uh, world. 
And so they're, they're praying and they're, they're throwing these prayers out. Hindus pray to many different gods, but ultimately they, they want to unite with Brahman so that they can escape the cycles of reincarnation. So they're, they're praying that way. Um, the people I like to call the Ophraites, Oprahites, um, they, they speak good things into the universe and they expect the universe to echo them back to them. I remember one time I was, I was jogging up on the uh, aqueduct by um, Goaty Hill Road and as I was heading back towards my car, there was a person coming down Goaty Hill Road and I could hear they were talking very loudly. I was like, they're alone. <laughs> and when I got up there, what they were doing is they were announcing good things into the universe and, and they were hoping that they would come back. So, so everybody kind of prays, but who are they praying to? What does it mean to pray? How, how does that work? Um, according to a 2014 study, 26% of people who say they are part of no particular religion say they pray daily. So you ask again, who are they praying to? What does prayer mean in that context? What's going on? Um, prayers in, in Buddhism is not intended to any particular God, just to the universe. We're going to speak good things into the universe. Uh, the Oprahites kind of want that to echo back. Muslims uh, pray to Allah, and prayer is one of the pillars of, of Islam. And so when they pray to Allah, there's really no guarantee that Allah will hear and answer them because he is so transcendent, so other, so mighty and majestic, so above us that he wouldn't have any kind of personal relationship with us. So they pray and they're, they're hoping that he might hear, but it actually tends to be more a prayer of obedience because he said to. Um, so when we say that prayer is talking with God, it can fit kind of all of these things depending on what you mean by talking and what you mean by God. So what does it mean in a Christian context? Well, when we say this in a Christian context, this talking is something that's much more than just announcing things, uh, you know, talking on a PA system or something. For example, we, when we just finished 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3.12 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. So when we pray, we're praying to a God whose ears are open to us. He's listening for us. He wants to hear what we have to say. John, uh, 1 John 5, 14 and 15 makes it a little bit clearer. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if, he, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in what we ask, we know that we have the request for that which we ask of him. So we call on the Lord and we understand God is actually listening to us. He's, he's not so transcendent that he doesn't connect with us. His ears are tuned to us is what the scriptural promise is. And that comes from also from the Old Testament, Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So God offers these promises of prayer, coming to him in prayer. It's not just you say the announcement, you say the words, and I may or may not hear. It's this idea that God is tuning his ears. He wants to hear us. He's asking for us to, to pray. He wants us to have that kind of hearing. In other words, we have a relationship with God. And it's not purely transactional. The, 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 um, the sample person when you come up, you ask what it is, and they, they hand you the cup, and they tell you it's right behind me, and it's this much for, and we'll have it on special for a week or whatever, and it's a transactional thing. You get your cup. Do you stand there for the next 45 minutes talking to about what your day was like? 
No, you eat the food and you walk away. I mean, it's a transactional relationship. But with God, what he's saying is he wants to hear us. He wants to know us. He wants us to speak with him. It's a relational um, uh, prayer. It's a relational dialogue. And so we know that God hears us because he asks us to, to pray. He's speaking to us that way. So what we can say is that when we say prayer is is talking to God, what we might say instead is prayer is personal communication with God. And, and communication, personal communication is not a one-way deal. It's not speaking from a loudspeaker out. It's this interaction, this dialogue, this back and forth. And so we'll kind of unpack that as we go through the rest of the definition, but it's personal for Christians. How do we know that it's personal? Well, because God became human and came and he lived with us. He couldn't be more personal than that. He brought it right down to us. It's something Allah would never do. The, the Hindu gods would never do something like that. They would never come that close. But Jesus Christ came and he walked with us. And so this is the personal relationship. And the, the idea that it's personal, that it's a personal communication means it doesn't have to fit some particular form. So you could have short prayers. Like when you come home, sometimes I'll come home and say, hey, Lisa, where are my car keys? Or I'm getting ready to leave. Where are my car keys? That's a short thing. We don't have to have a 45-minute discussion about you know, how we feel about the car. I need the keys. So we can offer prayers because it's a personal relationship. We can offer prayers to God that say, Lord, um, like, I, I really need help with this right now. Or so-and-so is sick. Lord, would you be with them? Um, every once in a while, I hear a helicopter flying over my house, and I live right across from the hospital. And when I hear that, that hel helicopter heading into the hospital, sometimes I'll remember and I'll pray for whoever's in there. I don't know what's going on. And it's a short little prayer. And that's okay because that's a relationship. Now, if my relationship to Lisa was only, you know, four-word sentences at any given time, it's not much of a relationship. We're also going to have bigger dialogues and deeper dialogues. So it's okay to have these short prayers with God because it's a personal relationship, but that can't be the fullness of it. We should also have more lengthy dialogues with him. And, and I'm trying to not get into the application, which is next week, on how to pray, but just the idea that prayers can be short or long. They can be formal or informal. Um, there's, there's different ways to do it because it is a personal communication with God. It's a personal relationship with him. And so when we look at Job's prayer, um, at the end, it, like, like Jim said, it's right at the very end of the book. Um, Job can be a little tough to get through because there's a long section of really bad debate. Job is just saying, look, I'm a righteous guy, and I demand to know why God is doing this to me. And his friends keep saying, well, yeah, I must have done something wrong. And it, it takes how many chapters? 38 chapters to get that? So when we get to chapter 40, God shows up. That must be the most important part. And God's response to, to Job's request, his, his response to his prayer is not, well, here's why I did that, Job. It's something much more personal. It's a response to Job that says, who am I, Job? Who are you? How do we fit this in here? And so Job's, you know what's the right response because Job's response at the end is, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Even though he's been maintaining his righteousness through the whole thing, he says, I, I despise myself and I repent. So it must have been the right response. That's a hint of that personal interaction. That is not the answer that I would have given Job if I was God in that spot. I said, well, dude, you've got to understand what's going on here. 
Instead, he just says, who am I, Job? Who am I? And Job is done. That's it. So this is the nature of that personal interaction, that back and forth with God is, is wrestling through it. And that leads us to our next point. So, so let me re, uh, restate that. Instead of God, prayer is talking to God, prayer is personal communication with God. It's a person to a person. We're interacting. Well, how do we do that? Because when we pray, Job got to hear God's voice, right? After, after chapters of complaining and demanding to be heard, God comes and speaks boldly to him. We don't get to hear that. We pray and, and we don't hear God directly answer us. Uh, so how do we hear God's voice in this? And that's be, the way we do that is because we're looking towards scripture. The other thing that informs our prayer is the scriptures. That's how God speaks to us. And I get that from Hebrews chapter one. Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's nice. God spoke by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, better than any prophet, whom he appointed to be the heir of all things. Through him, he created the world. He is the radiance and the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. No prophet can fit that description. God has spoken to us in these last days most clearly, most fully through Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God right now, so he can't speak with us like that. The way we speak with God, the way we hear God's voice now, is through his word. As we read the scriptures, as we look into the scriptures, as we hear him speak through the scriptures, we hear more and more about Jesus Christ. And so that's how the Bible then speaks back to us. And this is important because it's the Bible itself that tells you you must pray. Where do you get that? You don't have an angel appear at your door and say, start praying right now. We have the scriptures laid out, and the scriptures tell us that you should pray. So, for example, Luke 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. Jesus told them a parable. He told us, always pray and don't lose heart. That's the scriptures now beginning to form our prayers. First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 5.17, this is their favorite Bible memory verse. This is the easiest Bible memory verse aside from Jesus wept. Pray without ceasing. So the scriptures are telling you, you must pray. They're beginning to form your prayer life. And then think of, for example, 1 Timothy chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. So as you're a Christian walking in these things, the Bible is telling you, pray. So prayer is that personal communication, but it's also calling you to do that. So how do we do that? How do we let the, the scriptures inform our prayer, help us to pray? Well, as you're doing, you read through the Bible in a year, read through the Psalms and pay attention to the prayers. David will uh, call out to God to defeat his enemies, to defending him from his enemies. He'll, he'll cry out to God about this. Um, he'll, he'll thank God for the deliverance that he's had and, and praise him and say, I always want to be in your temple. He'll say things about wanting to know the law more intimately. I want more of you. Uh, Asaph will cry out to God on behalf of the nation and, and delight and to hear and how they, he provided for them. David, I mean, David, uh, David, we already did David. Daniel will open his shutters and face the decimated city of Jerusalem and pray to, Lord, pray to the Lord and confess, I'm a sinful person and my nation is sinful and would you have mercy on us anyway? 
and he'll call out to the Lord. You get these prayers over and over and over again, but you don't have to just echo those prayers. What you're doing is you're also looking through the scriptures and, and you're learning a language, a vocabulary. How does God speak about the world? How does God speak about the universe? Let me use those words and echo them back to him. Let me rephrase that. Let me have that part of my dialogue. And you don't have to memorize it and say it word for word, though that's not a bad idea. Just let it frame how you understand the universe and then pray that way. So this is what Job did. I don't know if you noticed it. You, you, it's hard to catch. But this is exactly what Job did. In verse 3, he quotes what God said to him from chapter 38. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? That was how God began speaking to him. He said, hey, Job, let me talk to you. Who is it who hides counsel without knowledge? Do you really understand what's going on? Job quotes that back to God. He says, you said that to me, and therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. In other words, I agree with you, Lord. And he's saying this in the form of a prayer. Lord, you said this to me. I agree with you. I spoke before I should have. And then in verse 4, he says, hear, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you make known to me. That's what he, uh, God said twice um, in uh, chapter 38. He said it twice to him. And so Job responds to that. So what Job is showing us is here's a response to God in prayer formed by his word. Now, Job didn't have the scriptures, but we do. And so we have the whole Bible to show us, to, to form our prayers for us. And it's how a Christian should be praying is allow those scriptures to form, focus your prayer. So you can quote God. You can quote it back to him. You can remember his great promises. You can remember the great and wonderful things that he did. Lord, you led Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Lord, you led Israel through the desert into the promised land. You parted the, the Jordan to bring them back in. Lord Jesus, you came and you washed the feet of your disciples. And, and you can allow those kind of ideas, these big pictures, to, to remind you of God's tremendous promises and pray them back to him. Remind him of what he said. Lord, you said about yourself that your ear is tuned to the, the, the humble, the, the weak, and, and you care for the fatherless and the orphans. Lord, would you please provide for the fatherless and the orphans? And so this is how you can allow Scripture to pray, or to, uh, Scripture to form your prayers. Um, it is also the way you can listen for God's response to your prayers, uh, to hear how he's going to do these things. It may not be exactly what you wanted, but was it exactly what Job wanted, the response he got? It wasn't, but you know what it was? It was perfect. It was the exact answer he needed. So that's the hard part is when we were letting scripture inform our prayers, sometimes it doesn't come across exactly clearly to us. But we need to wrestle through that. So the next thing we could say about prayer is prayer is scripture formed personal communication with God. Now that's a little bit less common as far as prayer goes. Originally, prayer was just talking to God, and, and once we said it was personal, that began to eliminate some of the religions that are, have less personal gods and universes and stuff. Now we go to the scriptures, and we say that, that our prayers are scripture-formed, personal communication with God, and now we're down to maybe the, the, the three big monotheistic religions because the Jews have half the Bible. They got the Old Testament. The Muslims recognize the Bible, but they say that it's flawed and erred and that they have to have the Quran. Um, so they would let their, script, their prayers be formed by what they consider scripture. So it's getting a little bit narrower, isn't it? The last one that I want to focus on is going to kind of wipe everybody else out. <laughs> There's nobody else but a Christian that's going to pray this way. 
The last aspect is that God is three persons. It's Trinitarian. God is one God in three persons. And so we can let the Trinitarian nature of our God begin to shape and form our, um, our prayers. And it's not just the idea, well, God is three persons, therefore you should pray. What's the connection there? It's the fact that God is three persons and all three persons are involved in your prayers. The fullness of who God is, is all focused to help you and to lead you in prayers. So God, Jesus tells us, pray to God the Father and address him as our Father. He, he, he tells us, so Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, tells us to address the first person in the Trinity. And then the Spirit is the one who empowers our prayers. He, he makes intercessions for us with groanings too deep for words. He's engaged, the whole Trinity is engaged in, in our prayers. So here's a quote from C.S. Lewis that I thought was really good. It, it really paints this well. It comes from mere Christianity. Lewis said, an ordinary simple Christian kneels down to say his prayers. He is trying to get in touch with God. But if he is a Christian, he knows that what is prompting him to pray is also God. God so to speak inside him. But he also knows that his real knowledge of God comes through Christ, the man who was God, that Christ is standing beside him, helping him to pray, praying for him. You see what's happening. God is the thing to which he's praying, the goal he is trying to reach. God is also the thing inside him that is pushing him on, the motive to pray. God is also the road or bridge along which he must be pushed to that goal so that the whole threefold life of the threefold personal being is actually going on in ordinary little bedroom with an ordinary man saying his prayers. So this is the part that is really empowering to being able to pray, is to know that God is three persons in one God, and all three of those persons are engaged in your prayers. They're all there to encourage you, to make you pray. God has revealed himself to us, so that we will pray to him. God has revealed himself through his son, Jesus Christ, who intercedes with us. He is our high priest. He brings our prayers into the, the throne room of God. And God, the Holy Spirit, is inciting you, prompting you to pray and empowering your prayers. All God is, is conspiring to make you pray, to empower and, and, and engage your prayers. So what you need to know is that God promises uh, this is 1 John 5, 14 again. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if, any, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If you ask anything according to God's will, he hears you. How do you know God's will? You have to know God to know his will. So to pray is to know God and to pray according to his will. And that's how you know that he'll hear us. So how do you know God? Well, you know him from the scriptures. Read your Bible. Everybody's going through the Bible in a year, right? Say yes, Pastor Tim. We're all doing that. There are other helps that can help. There's a, um, a book I just put on the Trinity Reads table called Knowledge of the Holy. Um, it's by A.W. Tozer. It's a handful of short chapters that deal with these different attributes of God. It's very helpful, very easy to read because the chapters are short. short. Uh, something a little bit meatier is a book by uh, J.A. Packer called Knowing God. And so you're reading through these things, and it's not that prayer is on every page, but God is there. And he's, he's, you're, you're introduced to this God who is conspiring to hear your prayers, this God who wants to draw them out of you. So what we can say then is God, or prayer is scripture-focused, 
personal communication with the triune God. And that is uniquely Christian. There is no other religion that will acknowledge the triune God, God, three persons. So this is how God is forming prayer. Now, this raises a handful of questions, so I want to answer a handful of real quick questions here at the end. Um, Why pray if God knows everything? I don't think anybody really asked that question, except when you're talking about prayer and you want to talk about it. But I want to talk about it, so I'm going to ask that question. And the reason I'm going to ask that question is because the answer is extraordinarily helpful for prayer. So if God knows everything, why pray? Well, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So Jesus offers this idea that God already knows everything, not as a reason to not pray, but as a, as a support, as a promise in prayer. So how great is it to go into prayer and to think, God already knows what I'm about to ask, but I'm going to ask him. And so even if I ask him poorly, he already knows the situation better than I do, and he will, be, he, he will understand it a whole lot better than I will. I'm going to go to prayer like that. So the, the why pray if God knows everything? Because he told you to. He wants to hear it. And he knows that you're going to ask that question, and so he's already answered it. It's an incitement to prayer, not, an, not a reason to not to. Um, something that's a little bit more difficult, kind of along the same lines, does God need our prayers? Does God need our prayers for things to happen? So um, James is talking about Elijah. In James 5, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, he was a human being just like we are. Elijah was a normal person. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So could God have done that without Elijah's prayer? Stew on that for a second. If you say yes, then why did he tell Elijah to pray? And if you say no, well, then how does he get anything done? It's a difficult question, but the reason that it's important is, is because if God is commanding us to pray and he's listening to our prayers and his ears are tuned, as he's promised, to hear, then he wants our prayers to be involved in his rule over the, the world. Lisa has a great illustration of this. She said, imagine if she was going to put on a dinner party with some friends and have fancy you know, candles out and, and nice plates and all of this. And the children were in the back bedrooms playing, and she did all the work. The kids would come out, and they'd see the fancy dinner, and that'd be really nice. Isn't that great? That's something. But what if she invites them in and says, come and, and pick out the right candles and set out the, the, um, the napkins and those things the right way? She's still in charge. She's still orchestrating this dinner party. But the kids have a role in it. They're, they're not the ones in charge. They're doing as they're told, but they have a role in it. So when the dinner party happens, there's this sense of, wow, this is really cool, and I had something to do with that, and I'm engaged. So maybe that's a picture of prayer that God is saying. He's saying, I'm running the universe. Don't worry about that. But come and join me in that. Walk with me in that. Pray and watch how I answer. That's why it's got to be according to his will, because he's ruling the universe according to his will. So what a great invitation How'd you, like to, how'd you like to run the universe? How'd you like access to unlimited power? Pray. And you know that unlimited wisdom will, will regulate and direct that. Here's another one that comes up on occasion. Does God hear the prayers of sinners? 
there is a scripture verse that says he doesn't, John 9, 31. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So is that a, a scriptural promise that God will not hear the prayers of sinners? Actually, you have to put it in context. Context is everything. This is the story from John chapter 9 of the man born blind who Jesus healed. And it made the Pharisees mad. <laughs> he healed you? What's going on? And so they call Jesus a sinner. And this man says, well, we know God doesn't listen to sinners. But he listened to him. So it's not necessarily true that God does not listen to sinners. It's true that this man is, is making the point, if you think Jesus is a sinner, if you think Jesus is not some, some great mighty prophet or something even better, then your whole theory falls apart. We know Jesus listens to sinners. Just read the book of Jonah, right? At the beginning, the storm comes on the sea, the boat's about to be sunk, and the, 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 the men are praying, the sailors are praying to God. And they go to Jonah, and what's going on? He says, you've got to chuck me out of the boat. So they throw him out of the boat, and the, the sea calms, and they make vows to God. He heard them. He heard them in their prayers. Or even more, at the end of the book, Jonah goes in. He begins to go in to Nineveh. It's a three-day journey to walk from one side of Nineveh to the other. He just begins to go in, and the whole city state repents. They cry out to God for mercy, and God hears them. So we know if, if God didn't hear the prayers of sinners, none of us in this room would be saved because he wouldn't have heard us. What does he mean then in, in that context? Well, what it means is it is not typical that God would just sit and listen to and answer the prayers of sinners unless there's a purpose for it. So he can hear them, but the way he's going to respond to them is going to be different than the way he responds to our prayers. So yes, God does hear the, sinner, the prayers of sinners. Now here's the big one. What about praying in tongues? What's up with that? Is praying in tongues personal communication that scripture formed with a triune God? Um, the official position of this church is we don't have an official position in this church on praying in tongues. Um, but I want to show you something. There are pro-tongues people and anti-tongues people. And both of you have a problem. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're a pro-tongues person, you're going to see verses that say, I wish that everybody spoke in tongues. Well, see? And then go through and read the rest of the chapter. The rest of the chapter, Paul seems to be downplaying tongues. He's like, yeah, yeah, tongues, big deal. I'd wish that y'all had other gifts, that you did other things. I would rather speak five intelligible words in the church than, than pray in tongues. So if you're pro-tongues, you read chapter 14 and you hear Peter or Paul going, yeah, but so what? Don't worry about that. That's not big of a deal. Now, all you anti-tongues people, you're all wringing your hands and cackling maniacally at this point. See? Yeah, you have a problem too. Because what Paul says is, I wish that everybody spoke in tongues, but more than that, I wish everybody prophesied. Not stop speaking in tongues. So now you anti-tongues people have to deal with what does it mean to prophesy? Well, it means preaching. Well, then everybody should be preaching, and everybody doesn't preach. So that can't be what it means. So then you wind up with this problem of what is going on here? you got pro-tongues, you got anti-tongues. So what is praying in tongues? Well, there's some problems with it in that we don't know what it means. If you just read the context, what you have to do is you have to bring in other verses and try to make it make sense. 
what language are you praying in? Well, I'm praying in the tongues of angels because in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, so I must be speaking in, in angelic tongues. Yeah, that's chapter 13. That's not what he's talking about here. As a matter of fact, what he says in chapter 14 is if you're going to pray in a tongue, make sure somebody can interpret. So there's got to be something going on there. Um, he's downplaying the issue of tongues. It, it, it is wonderful if you pray in tongues, but don't think that it's the most important thing in the universe, that it, is, it makes you anything more superior than anybody else, because we don't see Paul talking about praying in tongues to any other church. It was something going on with the Corinthians, something they thought was way much bigger than it should have been, and so Paul is saying, chill out. Let's, let's make that, that calm. And if you're anti-tongues, you have the problem of Paul saying, I wish everybody did pray in tongues. So if you pray in tongues, great. Enjoy that. If you don't pray in tongues, don't judge somebody who does. It's, it's too murky of a thing. But however you do it, whether you're pro or anti, what Paul says in, in uh, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, is he says, Therefore, anyone who prays in tongues should pray to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. It's not as beneficial to pray in a known language, to pray the words that you have, to use actual language. So remember I said, you know, prayers could be short or long. They could be detailed and elaborate or brief. You could apparently pray in a tongue you don't know, and that's praying, and that's okay, but it's better to pray in the language you do know. So fit that whole thing in. Bring it all in. One last one. What about the imprecatory psalms? What are imprecatory psalms? Uh, imprecation is praying for woe upon your enemies. So just, there's a handful of them, but for example, I think a clear one, Psalm 58, verse 6. Oh God, break the teeth in their mouths. David is praying, Lord, here are my enemies, and I want you to shatter the teeth in their mouth. I want you to break their arms. I want you to crush them. That's an imprecatory prayer. When we get to the New Covenant, though, Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, how do I do this? Can I pray in precatory psalms against people who are angry at me, or do I have to love them and pray for them? Well, I, I think the way to kind of begin to pull this apart is to remember imprecatory psalms are part of the Old Covenant, and then we have Jesus come, and Jesus, it's not just the new covenant, it is Jesus has come. And so there is now a different dynamic between us and our enemies. So David could pray these things, but notice he's not running out and trying to do them. He, he's saying, Lord, I'm putting them into your hands. And what I want you to do is I want you to destroy my enemies, shut them down. When Jesus comes, he says, look, I have taken all your enemies. Everything that was arrayed against you, sin and hell and death, it's all come on me, and I've crushed it. So I want you to pray for your enemies. So all he did was modify what we're doing. We're still praying for our enemies, but we're not saying, Lord, just wipe them out. We're, we're praying, Lord, have mercy on them. Draw them to yourself. Instead of just breaking their teeth, break their backs. Break their, their stubborn will and draw them to yourself. So the imprecatory psalms modulate when we come to the New Testament. It, it changes a little bit. So that's, that's the best I can come up with how to rec uh, um, reconcile the imprecatory psalms to the New Covenant 
teaching on it, is you still pray for your enemies. They're still your enemies, and you still know they're your enemies, and you still pray for them. But you're asking for something even greater than broken teeth. You're asking for a broken will and to draw them in. So that's how you, you can love them. So this is a theology, a rough theology, too short. Could have done 18 weeks on this. There's so much more that could be said. What we'll do next week is we'll take a look at if prayer is a scripture-formed personal communication with the triune God, what does that look like in practice? How can we approach that? How can we do these kinds of things? What can we do in prayer? And we'll, again, look to scripture to form us, but we'll, we'll ask that question. What I want to ask, I want to throw out to you and, and ask you to think about doing this, and I might press it a little bit more next week. Would you consider, as we finish up this, this series on prayer, would you consider starting a prayer journal? Just write down the things that you're praying about at any given time. You don't have to write it in detail. It can just be you know, subjects or whatever. Just write them down. And then we'll get together in about three months, sometime in the fall, and we'll say, how did you see God answer your prayer? We'll go back through our prayer journals and look and say, how did God answer these prayers? What did we gain from that? What do we see happening? And the reason I ask you to do that is because I think if we do that and we see places where God answered or didn't answer, I think it might encourage all of us to pray even more. It might be helpful. So just consider doing that. Consider writing them down. What I'm, I'm using for my read through the Bible in a year is the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading program. And it's um, two columns on, you know, or four columns on a sheet of paper. And, and what I'm going to do is cut that up. And on the second side, I'm going to put a prayer area. So instead of having just all the scriptures, I want to have scripture and prayer. And so I can put those together and I can do my daily Bible reading and then write down my prayers on the other side. And about every two months, two and a half months, I'll have to shift that out. So I'll translate over new prayers that need to be pray, continued to pray for. And so that's what I think I'm going to try to do. And just invite you to find something. Find a notebook in your home that you can stick near your Bible and just write down your prayers. And let's see. Let's see what happens. In three months, we'll get together and say, God, how did you answer us? And we'll do it together because that'll be encouraging. We'll see not just my perspective, but all of our perspectives on that. So please consider doing that. And with that, let me close in prayer. Lord, we come to you, and Jesus said to call you our Father. What a personal, intimate relationship we have with you. And we even have that in prayer that we approach you as our Father. And, and Lord, that means that you have concern for us. You have borne us. You have responsibility to us. You have care for us. So our Father, thank you for the personal communication we have with you. And Lord, as we approach, we recognize that even saying our Father is scriptural, that Jesus taught us to pray that way. So Lord, would you use your scriptures to show us, to form us in our prayers, to reinforce the relationship that we have with you as Father and we're your children, to see how you've treated your children throughout history, and to know the great and precious promises that we have in Jesus Christ of being your children in the future. And Lord, as we approach you, we recognize that our personal communication, which is formed out of the scriptures to call you Father, Lord, it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we pray to. The Father receives our prayers. The, the Son is our high priest who carries our prayers into the inner sanctuary like a high priest carrying a censure with, with uh, incense burning in it. And Lord, it's the Holy Spirit in us who seals us and guarantees us that draws prayer out of us. And when we don't know what to pray, Lord, even then the Holy Spirit is praying with groanings too deep for words. 
And Lord, I remember from Romans chapter 8 that it is the Holy Spirit that causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. So even in calling you our Father in prayer, Lord, it's the work of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God the Father, thank you for drawing prayer out of us. And we pray that you would do that more, that we would trust you more in this area. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.